You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome again to America's Web Radio. And we have a very special guest on today. His name is Marshall Huckabee. And Marshall is one of the inductees into the Georgia Military Hall of Fame. And uh, we'll be going into <laughs> the reasons he was inducted uh, for valor. Uh, he's a retired Army first sergeant. And uh, for, between first sergeants and master sergeants, uh, I don't know who had the most power uh I know a lieutenant didn't have a whole lot of power compared to him. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Marshall, welcome to America's Web Radio, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, Clarification on the first sergeant and master sergeant both get the same pay. Uh, The first sergeant is a duty position, uh, a command of authority type position. So that's the big difference. Well... I was just a low-life E-5, so... Well, you, you had to worry about both of them then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, coming and going, and uh, uh, then we had a uh, very small individual, uh, I won't go into uh, ethnicity, but uh, that was the HNIC, and he probably carried more weight than anybody. I don't know. Uh, he... <laughs> Yeah, you you know what I'm referring to, right? Exactly. Yes, sir. And <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I tell you what, I I look back and and I was not ecstatic when I went out to boot camp. But that, as it turned, I say boot camp. We didn't have boot camp. We had basic training, and uh, I was, uh, you know, apprehensive when I went. But as it has turned out, and I look back on things. Probably some of the best times time of my life, and uh, learning things that I didn't know I had in me, and uh, it was just a good experience. I, and as I've said over and over and over again, uh, I'm flattered that that uh, Rick White and some of the other gentlemen that I've met know that were officers or general dicks as a matter of fact i'm sure you know him and uh, you know he's just a wonderful guy and uh i appreciate the fact that they respect me as a veteran even though i did not go to vietnam i was in the reserves during vietnam i guess there's a there was a small chance I could have been called up. I think you and I both had the same MOS. I was 11B, 11B40, and uh, I assume you were somewhere along those same lines. Yes, I was. Uh, you know, I talked to other guys who say, well, I didn't go to Vietnam. I said, yes, but you are in the service, and you were the next number to be called, so it wasn't like you of 40 that you're here I am send me if you want to that's the way I look at it yeah well I was I got in in my uh, Texas reserve unit uh, I got called up once um, to put down a uh, or the, we didn't even put it down to potentially put down a uh, a problem in my in my home city 
But uh, then I moved to Atlanta, and uh, I went from the guard to the <laughs> to the Army Reserve in a uh, sort of. They didn't know what the hell to do with an. I I was in a civil affairs unit here, and they they didn't know what Eleven Bravo was, but. Uh, I soon taught him. I said, you know, just follow me to the IHOP and you'll learn. <laughs> I'll show you what to do. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, I want to talk about uh, First Sergeant Marshal Huckabee and uh, the service that you gave to the country and uh, and also uh, the fact that you were inducted into the uh, Georgia Military Hall of Fame. Uh, you joined... Now, it, I don't find this strange because I I know of a lot of folks uh, <clears throat> that did something very similar to you. You joined. You initially joined the Navy. Why uh, did Why did you true. do that? Well, I was in the Navy Reserve in high school, and upon graduation, I went on active duty, and I just stayed on active duty from uh, 1961 to 1964. Uh, during that time, I was fortunate or unfortunate maybe to be involved in the uh, uh, Cuban blockade on the ship that I was in and that's where I really for the first time saw the might of the U.S. military. I mean there were hundreds of uh, vessels in that uh, blockade but uh, I got out of the Navy and got a job in Macon. I wasn't married, had no big responsibilities. Uh, I was working for a tax assessor and every time I stopped at someone's house, they told me where I could go. <laughs> uh, and I was going from one side of Macon, Georgia, to uh, the other side to a new job. And it was lunchtime, I saw the Army recruiter. I wheeled around and went in and said, uh, if I join the Army, when can I leave? And the guy laughed. He said, you have all your paperwork, and this is on Wednesday. The guy said, son, if you had your paperwork, I'd have you out of Saturday. I said, what do you need? He said, well, you're not prior service. I said, actually, I am. I'm only been out 30 days. He said, I don't know where your records are. I said, they're in the building behind you at the reserve center. He called over. About an hour later, the captain said, are you serious? I said, yeah. He said, well, go eat lunch and come back. And I did. Wednesday afternoon, they uh, swore me into the Army, and Saturday, I was gone. Wow. Well, when I got to boot camp, I said, man, what am I doing? <laughs> well, I'm surprised. I didn't. I don't know how it works, and I would love to find out. Uh, so they sent you from. You had already gone through the naval boot camp, or I assume you had, even though you were in the in the reserves in high school. Uh, they still, I think, send you to some kind of training. Well, and the big difference is um, in the navy. In this boot camp, the army looks uh, sent more combat training. Mm-hmm. In train, I went in. I got out the navy as a sergeant. I mean, a uh, second class petty officer. So I went in the army as an E four. I dropped the rank. I got the boot camp. They made me an acting sergeant. And I didn't even really even finish boot camp. I had to uh, go to code of conduct, bayonet course, rifle range, and and one other class. And I'd been there about two weeks. And graduated graduated me by myself. Huh. Then I got orders with the 25th Division, Hawaii. So here I am. Gee, I, I didn't know the military could work that fast under any circumstance. I'm not sure they can now, but they did then. 
Well, they needed folks in Vietnam, I guess. Where uh, where were you stationed in Nam? Uh, well, well, I was in the 25th Division in, in 1966. The whole division went to Kuchi, Vietnam. And that's where we were. We built a base camp, and I was at the uh, 25th Division for that first year. I was in something called the Long Range Reconnaissance Patrol. Uh, you know, basically working out five-man teams. And to this day, that's probably some of the best people I've ever met in my life. And I look back on them with great fondness. In fact, uh, on the 31st of July, we uh, uh, interred our commander in the uh, North Georgia Veterans Cemetery in Canton. But uh, we all agreed that he grew up on us, but he brought us home. And so my first tour was with the 25th and Kuchi. Uh, you know, we talked about this. Uh, in fact, General Dix and I talked about it a little bit. And uh, so many things that were that are not really acknowledged about Nam came out of Nam. And um, you know, the phrase uh, "I got your back," "I got your six, so forth and so on, were really terms of and and how important it was in Vietnam for somebody to be covering your back. And uh, I guess, and the other thing that uh, came out of Vietnam was the, and I don't think they really call it that, but it certainly uh, has come out of uh, the desert and the desert storm and desert, uh, uh, all of any of the uh, things in Afghanistan or Saudi or whatever, um, but the the term IED, and yet you all faced IEDs on every trail that you took, didn't you? Uh, yes, we did. Uh, you know, we just called them booby traps, or, and you know they used uh, explosives. Some of them were mechanical, like uh, fungi stakes and stuff like that. And uh, the difference, uh, ours are just booby traps, and those are explosive devices, and they are improvised. Uh, even though the uh, people we faced had uh, had the exact same thing, and just that terminology came out of Desert Storm. Yeah, and, and, I mean, it became popular or used a lot in Desert Storm. The uh, the fact that they would use our sea ration cans to uh, blow up and uh, uh, what were they called? Daisy cutters or whatever they I've forgotten what the term was, but the um, uh, Anyway, so we we've also talked many with many of the uh, the inductees and and before we got involved with the uh, Hall of Fame, um, the fact that the military, no matter what branch you were in, has to be and this is what people that never served don't understand, but the military has to be the biggest fraternity and our slash sorority in the world. And you can almost, it was like being, uh, having uh, General Dix here the other day. As a non-com, you know, I was taught one way and to refer to him as general instead of just sir. Uh, you know, he, he was sort of surprised that, that I wouldn't call him Richard. But, uh, you know, I just, when I was in the service, you were taught, and you didn't call General General. You called him Sir, period, end of story. And um, 
the respect. Uh, I, I couldn't believe the feeling in my studio um, with General Dixon here. It was just, uh, just leadership was all over the place, and I was sort of in awe. Uh, he, he's just a fine, fine man. So if if you had one thing to say you got out of going to Nam, what would it be? I would say, uh, yeah, like you said, I got you sick. And that means a lot, totally. Uh, that's really a tactical situation. If you have like a, a 363 circle and you're uh, at the zero mark, the guy behind you, is at your six o'clock position, so he's protecting you. And to say I got you sick, you're telling a person, whatever happens, I'm with you. I'm your buddy. I got, I got you sick. And that's, I guess, what I got. Uh, and we learned that you can lie to your enemies, don't lie to your fellows. And uh, if people said they'd give the shirt off their back to their buddies, they mean it. I mean, you're talking about. 17, 18, 19 year old and sometimes a 15 year old kid going from high school through some uh, training and then suddenly they're with a group of five or sometime in a, a lonely position and you've got to depend on each other. So I think it's brotherhood came out of Vietnam and it's uh, alive now with other people. I have the opportunity to go to Fort Benning and meet some of the young people and those young rangers down there almost take my breath away. They look like they're 13 years old. But they'll have four and five deployments to Afghanistan. And mm. just as nice and polite as they can be. But uh, you give them a job to do, that they're going to do it. So I'm proud of all of them. Yes, sir. Let's, uh, we're going to take our first break. We'll be back with Marshal Huckabee. Uh, first Sergeant Michael Huckabee, retired. <coughs> Retired Army. We'll be back right after this. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's Marshall, pretty Marshall, we costly. doing okay? I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote okay. the vintage automobile industry. Well, you Please visit our site on break, okay? give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio, and we have the honor of having First Sergeant Retired Marshall Huckabee on the line with us. And uh, Marshall was inducted into the Georgia Military Hall of Fame, 
and uh, he served in Vietnam and uh, continually displaying selflessness and devotion to duty um, and bravery. He was twice decorated for heroism and was wounded four times. And I, you know, we had, are you familiar with uh, Donna Rowe? I am. And we had Donna on, and I can't imagine four times being wounded in action. And uh, we were, uh, Donna is just a beautiful lady, as you know. And um, looking up at, at someone like her taking care of you, you had to, like she said, some of the guys would say, ask him, am I in a medical facility or am I in heaven? And uh, those nurses and those doctors were, uh, they had to be, you had to feel like they were disciples from heaven anyway. You did, and uh, I guess the, the first time I really had to go into uh, evacuation from the wounds, uh, uh, we're in a pretty bad predicament out on the Cambodian border, and I was wounded about noon, but lay out there till about dark before they could get us out. And they took us in, and uh, you know, you so this we're talking about ten o'clock at night before they finally got me because I wasn't sure as bad a lot of guys was. So they put me in, uh, you know, put me under and worked on my arm and my hands where I'd been wounded. Well, the next morning I woke up. We all bandaged up. I was still dirty. Had red dust on me from the uh, battlefield, and uh, there was uh, the nurse there. And when you saw them, you got the feeling that you're the most important person in the world, and that that was the only thing they were going to do is take care of you. Wow. And uh, you, you're setting up kind of feeling sorry for yourself. They're taking care of you, care of you. But when you get your faculties back, you look around. You think, man. Those guys are in bad shape, so you feel, you know, you feel quick feeling sorry for yourself and just try to get the heck out of there. But they were definitely great angels in green. You know, uh, and again, we've mentioned it many times since we started doing this, and, and we support the uh, Georgia Military Hall of Fame and want to remind everybody that coming up November the 2nd, is their big induction ceremony in uh, Columbus, Georgia. And uh, every, the public is invited. Uh, Rick White, the uh, uh, Colonel Rick White, retired, mentioned to me that anybody that goes to it should bring their own box of tissues because it's going to be a uh, dripping event. Um, yeah, there won't be a dry eye in the place. So... I had planned on going, but some things have come up business-wise that I'm not going to be able to go. But uh, I want to invite everybody else, and, and please support the Georgia Military Hall of Fame. These are the people that have kept us free, and we salute them every Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. With that being I'd, said... I'd kind of like to echo that, if I may. Sure. Uh, what what you said is very important. The people that are being honored, I, when I look, I'm, I was inducted, but when I look at some of the bio, bio, uh, bios of the people before and those being currently inducted, I went, how in the heck do I even am allowed to be near these people? You do not know what the guy who lives next door to you or who works at the body repair shop or 
the older guy working produce at the grocery store, what they went through as 18, 19-year-old people. And most of the conductees uh, perform their acts, and if it's for valor, it's uh, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old person. And so you don't know. Uh, we invite even an individual to come to the ceremony and see your fellow Georgians being recognized for their contributions to our country. So what you said is, like, please come down. We're glad to find your place to sit. You'll, you'll go away better as a better uh, Georgian if you come. You know, the, the and I, I ought to get Rick and get him to tell me, uh, give me a number because I don't know. But uh, Donna and I talked about it, and uh, General Dix and I talked about it. And I guess of all of the folks, and you were certainly, uh, you're certainly in there, but, and, and unfortunately you got to know one of them probably better than you wanted to, but the dust off pilots and the brave Huey pilots that went in after the wounded, they went through hell to get the wounded, and they, you know, I think they all thought they were supermen, and nobody could touch them. And in my opinion, the there's two. In my opinion, the the dust off pilots, and also I I have totally changed my view from when I was when Vietnam was at its hottest, and you had the conscientious objectors that would they would go, but they, well, they were forced to go. But uh, they wouldn't carry a weapon, so they made them medics. And some of those guys did some of the bravest things. I, I wouldn't have had the guts to do what they did. And uh, they were conscientious objectors from the standpoint of carrying a gun or trying to kill someone. But the lives that they saved by being medics, uh, it, it's just an untold factor that they were some of the best soldiers that we ever put in the field. And uh, the dust-off pilots, I, I can't say the word without wanting to salute them. Um, they saved many, many lives. And, uh, oh, well, they, the, the people uh, in, that aren't aware of what happened, the hat happened, uh, they said, well, he was in the helicopter. Well, if you're on the ground in a massive firefight, the helicopter coming in, He's a sitting target coming in. He's a target sitting there. He's a target of that very slow takeoff. So he's got a, a light flashing around here so here I am shooting at me. And they were like, if they were just, they, if you talk to them, I did my job. I said, but man, what a job you did. Yeah. And every, everybody was shooting at them from every angle. That's right. And, um, uh, and, it, and you know, and we uh, we've talked about this as well that uh, uh, we went into Vietnam just like we went into Desert Storm, not knowing or not. We thought we were prepared. We thought we're the we're the most prepared country in the world. We have the best everything. But the fact of the matter was, until the Huey pilots started getting killed. As they sat in their chopper or, uh, you know, waiting to do something. And, and like in uh, Desert Storm and 
we didn't have the the Hueys um, or the Humvees. They weren't. Uh, they didn't have the armor that they should have had for the IEDs, and the Hueys didn't have the plate on the bottom of them like they should have had going in. And um, I don't know offhand how many pilots were killed by ground fire that penetrated the floor of the Huey. But we finally we finally geared up and put a steel plate in there, and it was amazing the uh, the pilots that made it through, and they went through some incredible fire, just absolutely yeah, I, incredible. It, it's hard to imagine. I, you know, I would I was I guess fortunate or unfortunate, but. When I went in, I had the opportunity to get off and lay down and hide behind something. They did. Yeah. They were they were the sitting ducks, or flying ducks, as the case might be. And uh, um, I'm sure for the Vietnamese, uh, North Vietnamese, any time they could um, pull smoke and... Uh, see a Huey go down they uh, were proud of themselves and then uh, and and that was before the Hueys uh, even had uh, started going in as gunships and uh, oh that's right yeah they were it's like anything else you make do with what you have and uh, those pilots and cookies and the gunners you know they made their own stuff they uh, learned to tie a, of, a strap from the overhead and hang their machine gun from that so they got Greater versatility, and uh, and the army picked up on that, and they made something. But when you first get there, uh, and you were talking, I thought about you were talking about preparedness. Oh, uh, the the way we are, we prepared for the war we just fought. So in Vietnam, were prepared for the last war. Desert Storm, they kind of had a, a, I guess, the residuals from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So they went from desert fighting to desert. I mean, from jungle fighting to desert fighting. So you learn as you go. And it takes us a while to gear up. And if I've ever been, the only thing I've ever been critical of the United States for, and unfortunately I've said this too many times, but it's the fact that we had no real foreign policy and to go into Nam and not realize that that was jungle warfare and then to go to Desert Storm and not realize that that was desert and we should I was down in uh, in uh, Georgia at, uh, at the base uh, what is it outside of uh, Savannah and uh, Fort Stewart Fort Stewart yeah <laughs> and I was there when they were painting all of the vehicles desert colors they were taking the OD green and painting it the beige or brownish, tannish, whatever you want to call it, and getting them, getting ready to ship them back after they realized, gee, a real green vehicle on the on the desert really sort of stands out like a sore thumb. But we we gear up, and and the one thing I guess uh, World War Two did prove to us is that. We may bend, but we don't break, and That's right. we're the most flexible. And if you, if, if, as a first sergeant, you told a grunt like me, I want it in, I want it by tomorrow morning, then I was going to be shoving it through your door at two o'clock in the morning because I took pride in what I was doing, and if you needed it at daybreak, I was going to give it to you before daybreak. And that's, that's, one of, 
And people may talk about military people and their uh, willing obedience to follow orders and things like that or regimentation, but uh, uh, a soldier's not like anybody else who's not conscientious about their job. You turn something in, you want to turn it in if your name is painted all over it. So that came from Marshal Huckabee, and I can depend on him. The next time I get one, I don't have to worry about it because he does a good job. That's what most soldiers want. A little praise. That's right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with Marshal Huckabee, first sergeant retired, right after this. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of Marshall, dollars you a year. Us? I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Good. Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine well, if you um, can get away you know, from Obamacare. I'm a, a 20-year veteran a of, of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. You were a Vietnam veteran. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction uh, and Medical Director of the Atlantic Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. I'm a a veteran. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're coming back. And we're back on America's Web Radio with our guest today is Marshall Huckabee, and uh, we're delighted to have him on the air with us. And uh, salute you for what you did during Vietnam, and I uh, I hope that, and it seems like it's come around, and and a lot of the uh, the folks that uh, that we interview and that have been on have made sure that the folks coming back from Desert Shield and Desert Storm aren't treated the way that folks coming back from Vietnam or even just serving during the Vietnam era were treated and uh, it was it was unbelievable because we had uh, we had gone through uh, World War II we'd gone through the Korean <laughs> policing action uh-huh and then then we came back from Vietnam or you all came back from Vietnam and were treated like you're treated terribly and anybody in uniform for a while was treated terribly and you all have seen now that the folks coming back from desert shield and desert storm are treated with the respect like they should be and that uh you know anybody that tries anything is going to be called out by somebody standing behind them and uh it's uh, it's it's a relief to know that our military is once again respected, not only abroad, but at home, and that's the most important place at home. Um, I don't know of anybody that served, no matter what they where they were or what they did or what happened to them, didn't live day in and day out to be short. And for those that don't know what that means, that means when your your time is up and you're about ready to come home. And uh, Yeah. I, I had uh, a couple of years ago had a high school. I had a friend of mine ask if his high school grandson could interview me about Vietnam. I said, well, I guess so. And the kid talked to me, went through, and he said, then he asked me, he said, uh, when you're in Vietnam, 
how did you feel about the politics back home? I said, I said, I did not know anything about politics back home. I said, you've got to understand, we were 17, 18-year-old kids. The only thing I wondered about, what time's chow? When's mail call? Am I going to get paid on time? I said, we live from day to day. And I didn't learn about politics until I came home. And, uh, it, you know, we came back, and it wasn't very nice. And I, I said, I spent three tours. Well, after I retired in 81, for probably over 20 years, uh, people I worked with, first of all, didn't really know I had been in the military. And they sure didn't know I'd been in Vietnam. And it wasn't that I was ashamed or sorry about it. But they wouldn't understand, so why waste both our times trying to explain it? And you're right, the Vietnam veterans, we and each of us have tried to make sure that this new generation, if they go back, we're going to give them the best honors that we can. And I think that whether the military or not, that's your, that's a, your obligation to Americans and Georgians to honor these young people when you see them. You know, I've made it a. Uh a policy, and I don't fly that much, but when I do and when I'm at an airport, uh, I see a, a person in uniform, and they sit down to eat. I tell the waitress or waiter, that one's on me. And uh, I have a son that's uh, in the Air Force station in uh, Germany, and, uh, you know, I hope that as he does his travels that people treat him well. Yeah and respect him for what he's doing for our country. And uh, it looks like he's going to wind up being a lifer, and uh, I hope that he's always treated well. And uh, yeah, That's a good point. I, uh, I do the same thing when I have the opportunity at buying a lunch if there's a one there. Uh, both of my sons are military. My only son is retired now, and my youngest son uh, was a commander in the Navy. He did two tours in Iraq with the CBs, so they... I would want someone to treat them with respect. You don't have to agree with their policies, but you got to agree that they did what they were asked to do, not just told to them, but what they were asked to do. And so you're right. If you have the opportunity, thank someone for their service. A lot of the young guys say, well, I don't need things. And I tell them, I said, that's not your choice. I said, I'm, I'm, I have an obligation and a desire to thank you for so just taking things. Well, thank you for caring. And that's what a lot of them do. And that's what needs to be done. Thank you for caring. That's that's the biggest thing right there. Thank you for caring. And um, it'll come back to, I can guarantee you, the good feeling that you'll have of buying somebody in uniform a meal or drink or whatever it might be. It'll come back to you many times over, and you'll have a feeling of you're doing it for yourself, really, even though you're doing it. That's right. And And you have no idea where that person, male or female, is coming from, where they're going, and under what circumstances they're traveling. They may be coming on leave, or they may be going home for... uh, for family emergencies, so any little kindness goes a very long way, both for you and the person you uh, are kind to. Absolutely. So when when you came back um, from Nam, how would you? What was your feeling towards 
the military slash government's attitude towards Vietnam? Uh, well, I, since I stayed in the military, I kind of went, what was my next job and what was going on then? Um, as I said, I, I did three tours, and after I retired, and, uh, I met my last tour in 1971. I came back to uh, Fort McPherson and spent uh, three years there. Uh, but it was in general, it was just life goes on, you know. Mm-hmm. And I guess I haven't didn't develop any feeling about the uh, disrespect for Vietnam veterans. So after I retired and started spending my time reading about it, before then, if they didn't like it, I didn't care. I just let it off because you had too many things to do. You had a job to do. didn't have time to dwell on it. But after I retired in the late years, I thought, you know, those people just did not know. Right. Let me ask, uh, on your resume or bio here, um, first AVM wasn't... First Aviation Brigade? Oh, first one, AM? Uh, it says AVM. Uh, probably the American Vietnam Medal. Let me pull it up and see. <laughs> You mean service? Or? Right, right. When you were... Uh, oh, I was in the first aviation brigade for a while. Oh, okay. Uh, I was in a unit on the border, so I said, and when I got out of the hospital, I got the opportunity to go down to an aviation unit and be at the operation sergeant down there. I said, man, what's wrong with that? And I went down there. And I was only down there about a month. I got wounded and went back to the hospital. So <laughs> it wasn't such a hot deal after all. You know, I... When I read the AVN, I thought of one thing, and that was that was not aviation. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, was down, I was down in the Delta in a, a aviation unit as operational sergeant. Interesting. Um, tell me, or let let the folks that are listening know when when did you become a first sergeant? Uh, in 1976, I was in Germany, and I was a master sergeant, and uh, I was in a, a unit that had been, was a provisional unit, so they didn't really have a, a slot or a position as first sergeant. And then the unit got the, uh, reorganized and had a first sergeant position. So even though I was doing a, a command-type job, I didn't have the diamond, uh, the diamond in my stripe. For folks that don't understand and don't know, uh, the unit commander and the uh, not only commander but XO and so forth and so on down the down the chain, probably the first they're like babies, and the first words that they learn are or learn to yell are first sergeant. Would, would that be a correct statement? Uh, yeah, the, all, all the first sergeants like to say, the commander commands the company, but I run it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And uh, you know all actually, the names. Actually, the company clerk runs everything. <laughs> well, I hate to say this, but I was a company clerk. <laughs> and, so you know what and, I'm talking about. Uh, well, you have access to the 201 file. And, uh, That's right. <laughs> You know, you can you can bring some hurt down on a person if you wanted to, but uh, 
Yeah, you know, you don't. And no matter what somebody's done to you, there's still a brother in uniform and exactly. or a sister. And uh, everybody has one goal, and that's for Marshall to get back to his family and for me to get back to my family. And uh, That's right. No matter... But you're right about the uh, company clerk. He can uh, he can sure mess up some leaves if he wants to. But hey, yeah, the company clerk is valuable. I mean, to get a good one, you don't let him go. And uh, I had I had one uh, a good one that he was uh, applied for transfer, and I proved it. And my sales and first sergeant said he is so good. Why? What, how can you let him go? I said, sir, he's so good because we're allowed him to be good, and that's an honor for us. If somebody wants, we have good people that they won't take him away from us. He said, you know, good point. <laughs> well, when the when I got out of basic, I went right back to my unit in my hometown because we had been struck by a tornado that just devastated my hometown in uh, 1970. So. My job as company clerk, we had a thing. <laughs> we had a thing called the strip. It wasn't. We didn't have liquor stores in my hometown, but we had them outside the city limits. And so, one of my duties as company clerk was make sure the officers had plenty to drink. And uh, I spent a lot of time going out to uh, the strip to buy officers their favorite drink. But you do what you're ordered to do, you know. And, uh, I I guess if people wonder about a Columbia clerk and what they do, watch MASH and look at Radar O'Reilly. Yep. <laughs> You're right. And uh, uh, like I said, they have they have the power of the pen. And uh, they can make the orders go either way they want them to. Exactly. And as fast as they want them. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that is as slow as they want them, and uh, it's uh, they will they would never admit this, but most company clerks can sign the company commander's signature better than the company clerk commander can. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, I, we joke. I sort of we joke about it, but like you said, Mash is a pretty good example of a lot of things. Uh, some some true and some not so true, but um, you know things have changed and since since we were both in, or particularly since uh, I was in, uh, and and uh, General Dix and I talked about this the other day was that uh, we were not to fraternize with officers and our general staff. You know, we we were. NCOs or enlisted personnel, and enlisted personnel didn't go out drinking with their. Well, I did, but most of us didn't. But it was a it was a different thing after after the draft stopped and uh, the lottery, and then after that, uh, just the volunteer. And we had even in my my uh, first basic company, my platoon. Everybody there was a college graduate. And that was almost unheard of back in in the early 60s and late 50s. And uh, things change, and things really change for the military. And we have, I would say today, 
and I'm well far removed, but we have not only the finest equipment, but we have the finest people ever to serve in the military because they want to be there. I would I'd tell the people, I'm not I got a commercial going here, but if you live in the Atlanta area, North Atlanta, in April of every year, the Army's Mountain Range Camp has an open house. If you want to understand and see what your company has to offer, go up there, what your company has, country has to offer, go up there and you'll see some of the best young people in the world having the best equipment doing what they do. It's open to the public, so go up there in April of next year. Yes, sir. With that being said, we're going to take our break, and uh, we'll be back with Marshall Huckabee right after this. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You can keep your doctor, you can keep your plan, and every family will save thousands of dollars a year. I'm Ellen Deal, and if you've been hurt by the Affordable Care Act, you can email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com to see if we can help. Small business owners, individuals, families, and baby boomers, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com for three easy questions to determine if you can get away from Obamacare. I'm a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry and here to help you for all your insurance needs. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're glad to have you on David's Pick on America's Web Radio. And we're particularly glad to have Marshall Huckabee, First Sergeant, retired from our great Army. He served in Vietnam. And I was just looking at your bio there, uh, Marshall, and uh, you were in probably, if I'm guessing right, Right before they went to the uh, camouflage uh, ranking, is that right? Uh, yes, we did. Uh, we uh, when you went there, you first went there. Of course, the stripes were yellow, and so you whipped out a magic marker and made them black. <laughs> then later, they uh, of course the officers learned real fast to pull off their rank out. You know, if you're in a platoon, you knew who the platoon leader is. He didn't even bars or or always his helmet and uh but yeah it was there in the days we uh that unit I mentioned I was the first time we uh had green fatigues and it uh, just didn't blend well in the jungle and our commander was ready to get us what we call tiger stripe type fatigue. So that was the early days where everything was nice green and yellow yellow stripes and white name day. And that and that all that standout white T shirt Oh, yeah. Of course, when you got there in that red clay, they weren't white very long. 
you all you all changed them, huh? That's right. Uh, you know, you always see the pictures in Vietnam of the uh, enlisted guys with his dog, and you all learned too to uh, wrap your dog tags. But uh, yeah. the guy without a shirt on, with the dog tags hanging around in in his hooch or close to his hooch and close to a uh, uh, fire station or whatever, you know, and uh, then the reality, you talk to somebody, and I guess I guess the I don't want to say that World War Two was clean or that Korea was clean, but they were certainly. There was still some, I don't even know what I want to call it, but there was some... Civility. Yeah, civility, you're right, exactly. You hit it right on the head. And and, uh, my veteran Vietnam friends have stories that are just, you you can't believe them. My my platoon sergeant in basic training, uh, Sergeant Polino, told stories of, of just you couldn't believe that a human being could be that cruel to another human being no matter which side of the fence you were on and uh you know and then to come back and be called baby killers and all this kind of stuff uh was just deplorable because i i have this real thing about that i'm not going to criticize you because i haven't worn your boots and been in your boots and for any of our politicians to criticize anybody that's been in the military, if they haven't, well, I think that everybody that serves in public office and makes decisions on or for the military should have served. And, or at least, at least understanding, you know, how a, a two-week course on what the military is. Uh, uh, a while back we are talking about how you treated coming back. Well, what they forget is how the guy coming, or girl, person coming back felt. Uh, in World War II in Korea, you know, they would, the war was over, they came home on boat and they had two or three weeks transition time to decompress. My last tour, I was in the field, I was an advisor, I was in the field, and the helicopter landed and said, where's Huckabee? I said, over here. He said, here's your paperwork. You got a 30-day drop. I mean, I could go home 30 days early. So I took those papers, got on the helicopter, my weapon, my stuff, went to our, our team camp, uh, said goodbye, got on the phone with my paperwork, my gun, and my stuff, went down to the law, uh, where we out processed. I turned in my weapon uh, and all my accountable items bathed up the best I could and I went home wearing the same fatigues I had two days before so wow. one morning I'm in combat and two days later I'm getting off the airport in Atlanta looking like a bum <laughs> no no uh, we talked about her we kidded about a little bit uh, about the power of the company clerk but the reality of it is who was absolutely the most powerful, be it company level or even brigade level, who was the most powerful person in your, in my opinion or your opinion? I, I'd say the most necessary person to have a good one was the supply sergeant. Well, I'd go one, I'd go one step above that. I'd go to the, uh, and sort of a supply sergeant in, in, in a way, 
with the chaplain. Yeah, and you know, in, in saying that, uh, and I didn't intend to overlook the chaplain, but uh, I hold those in very special regard. And there's a, uh, there's a sheepdog. They're taking care of us. I have a very good friend who is, uh, now he's at the 10th Mountain Division in uh, New York, but he was a ranger, SF, uh, enlisted man. He got out and through whatever life changes, uh, ended up becoming a, a minister and came back in and he's a super duper airborne trooper chaplain. And when he talks to them, they say, well, this guy's walked the walk. He knows what I mean. And they are, they're very, very, you know, God sent them. Mm-hmm. In the right place, and that's about what I said. They're they're God sent, and they're needed. And uh, <laughs> no matter what their rank is, they can outrank just about any rank. Oh yeah, they make things happen. Yes, sir. I was, uh, like I said, when I was uh, finishing, I was finishing up AIT, and uh, my hometown was hit by the tornado, and so I went to the my. CO and and said uh, you know what what would I have to do to uh, get home and go join my unit and uh, well I you know you're not going to get out just for a tornado or anything like that and uh, you've got a week to go before graduation and you're going to be here and we just come back from our uh, two weeks in the field you know and uh, so a friend of mine said go talk to the chaplain or actually it was the uh, I don't know if it was first sergeant or my platoon sergeant Go talk to the chaplain, and uh, I did. And and interestingly enough, it, it's sort of like being sick and going to sick call. If you request to go see a chaplain, they're going to let you go see the chaplain. Exactly. And uh, you so, may have you may have to wait, go see Inspector General, but you will go see chaplain. Here's the keys to my jeep. Yep. So I went and saw the chaplain, and um, you know he was. Very understanding, but said, you know, I don't know what I can do. Let me see, and somebody will get back to you. And I hadn't much gotten back to my my uh, platoon, and I got called, and I was on my way home. And it, it it was like in 30 minutes, and I couldn't, I could barely say goodbye to my friends. You know, I was, I was, it, it was 30 minutes to an hour, and I was. Out of Fort Ord, not uh, not looking back, but yep, they're very indispensable. I mean, they're just if you say the unit has a soul, not two hands. And you know, you you mentioned something else is that uh, a lot of the chaplains they're not going to be carrying weapons, but a lot of them, uh, just like you said, uh, they're rangers. They're uh, back in my time, Green Berets and. Uh, you know, they were airborne. Um, they went where the troops went, and they took care of the troops. And uh, like you said, maybe it was their calling or whatever. I mentioned a friend of mine, Sir Ranger. Yeah, he was in, uh, when he was in Italy. I saw a video of him. He, said, he, he talked to the troops about a jump. Then he got up on the podium, and he was their jump master. He was getting ready to jump, and he said, you know, you're the best soldiers in the world, but you're godly soldiers for Christ. But, you know, I mean, what kind of, where do those people come from? I'm glad we got them. <laughs> and I, I, the other thing that I, I got to throw in that I always thought was 
I don't want to say funny, but it was, but it, it, you can back me up on this. There were a lot of those chaplains that uh, they had the patent leather boots. They wanted their jump boots to jump out and stop you as they and and if you were walking down the street and you didn't salute them, uh, even though they had the cross insignia on their collar and you didn't take them seriously, they would stop you and make them make you take them seriously. Well, they had a serious job, you know, and they wanted to, they were, uh, I guess, and they were a counselor, if you will, but they were also soldiers, they were officers. They, they, when you went, there they are, probably right by your behind you. So they deserved it, and they, they earned it. Yes, sir. And it was, it was, some of them were very interesting, uh, but... Anyway, you know, I think we've given the public a pretty good idea of uh, some of what went on in Vietnam, and and particularly the, you know, it's a team, and I guess that's the the main thing from the time you go into basic until you retire or or you you muster out whatever, um, you're part of a team, and. Are your you're a cog in the wheel, and every cog is important. And that that's true, and, and you never forget those people as as of today. You know, I, I'm running into guys I haven't seen since 1966. Wow! Uh, you mentioned the pilot. We had the pilot who flew us on most of our missions. Uh, we often wonder what happened to him. And when I lived in in a Sonoma by Peachtree City. It turned out the guy lived about 20 miles from me. I'll be darned. And I found him and let the guys know. And I had a 4th of July party. I had 50 people from all over the United States coming to see that guy. Wow. He was he was um, that important to a lot of folks. He was. And, uh, Marshall, we're going to have to do what we do, un- unfortunately, too frequently, and that's uh, put the plug in the jug and get out of here and get ready for the next show but i do want to thank you so much for being on and sharing your story and uh, if you don't mind i'd like to have you back on again i would and i uh, appreciate the opportunity for the people of georgia to understand we are honoring their friends and neighbors and family yes sir and uh everybody's invited to the military hall of fame induction ceremony November the 2nd in Columbus, Georgia. And we hope you hope a lot of folks get to attend. Again, Marshall, thank you, and uh, I'll be in touch soon. Okay, and thank you for caring. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio, and uh, we've got the Health Care Insight Show coming up next. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.